welcome to my hearth. We are in a sequence talking about the really interesting characters who inhabited the little village in Essex that I was brought up in, or should I say partly brought up in. This was my southern environment as opposed to my northern environment where my family were. Now that partly explains my mum's relationship to the village, or rather my mum's non-relationship to the village in certain areas. When you are little, you don't understand the nuances of relationships. I knew that in the village itself, there were no close relatives. My father had uh, a sister who was married, my Auntie Olga and Uncle Arthur, who was known as Smudgy. And I had one cousin in the area. Now, in the north, there were literally hundreds of relatives. Admittedly, they were spread across the whole of the north of England, a lot of them in Keswick, a lot of them in Newcastle, or rather South Shields. But I knew that when I was in the north, I was going to be very close to, or even present with, relatives. Now in the south, most of the people that I called uncle and auntie weren't real uncles and aunts. They were equally kind and loving and part of my life, but they weren't flesh and blood. And somehow I knew that my mum's relationship with the village was partly the cause of that. My mum always felt a little bit like the person who didn't quite fit. Now remember we're talking about the late 50s, that's when I sort of started to recognise the world around me. And this was a very strange time because we were very close to the end of the Second World War where everything had been thrown up into the air and there was still a, a little sense of upheaval about the time. There is a point where you sort of become very aware of your situation and by that particular era we had stopped rationing. However, things were still very difficult to get. We were still in a period of austerity and the thing that made us different in the village was that we were relatively well off. As I have already said, we lived in a house that my father had built and so therefore there was no mortgage or debt on it. He had a very good job, which not only paid him a salary, but gave him a car and a telephone. Younger generations listening to this would find it very strange that there would be a, a time when a house did not have a telephone. You have to remember that my parents were unflinchingly generous, sometimes to the point of being taken advantage of, I think. However, if there was an emergency in the area, it wasn't unusual for someone to come to the house and say, can we use your phone? My mum being incredibly kind meant that we had 
relationships with people in the village that other people didn't. Mum's generosity even went as far as occasionally doing people's laundry or mending their clothes, to say nothing of cooking them a meal or giving them one of her amazing cake tins. This quality originated with her mum, my maternal grandma, my grandma Margie, who, as I said to you before, would very often take in a tramp and feed them and clean them up and set them off on their way, obviously with something in their pocket. In my family, the gift of hospitality was the norm. Part of who you were was to be generous and loving to everybody. But I always knew that my mum never quite felt part of the community in the South. We were in the North as much as possible. Because of my father's work, we were based in the South for half of the year. As I've already said, he worked for the Zurich Insurance Company, which was a Swiss-based firm at that particular time. And the other thing which made us unusual was that when we did go on holiday together as a family, we went abroad. This was unusual in the 50s, partly because you were not allowed to take money out of the country. I may be about to tell you a lie, but I think it was a maximum of £50. However, my father obviously had connections in Switzerland, so for some reason this didn't count. When I've spoken to my contemporaries, most of their first holidays were in seaside resorts in this country. My first holiday was in Le Touquet in northern France. Again, I may be misremembering, but I believe that my father could get by in both English, French and Italian. And I don't know if this was because of his job or because of his experiences in the war. I don't know if he could speak German. It's one of the many things that I didn't quite get a proper lowdown on when I was little. It would make some kind of sense because of the Swiss connection. Now, as I said in an earlier episode, I was on my mum's passport, so it was always assumed that when we were going abroad, it would be as a duo. This foreign travel also made us stand out in the village as the other. Remember at that particular time, lots of men had been abroad as part of the war effort. But the fact that my family continued to do so all through my young life did make us different. Moreover, my father owned a lot of land in the village. 
he was often approached by the local estate agent to see if he would buy a particular plot of land which came on the market. Because one of his main hobbies was building, he was always prepared to buy a plot with the fact that in the future he might consider building on it. And he did. He was extremely careful with money, and that sounds as though I'm saying that he was a miser. I don't mean that. I mean he knew what he had and he knew where it was and he kept a record of it. At that particular time, it was unusual for people to have the kind of concerns where you had to keep a record for the taxman. He and my mother owned a limited company, which was unusual at the time. He was C. Harris, she, having married him, was C. Davis, and their company was called Chardav, C-H-A-R-D-A-V. Various assets that he had, including the land, were in that company. He was scrupulously honest and fair. However, at heart, he was a businessman. Now I've done the research on my family, I know now that this sense of being business people went back many generations. Again, this made us different. He certainly knew more than he told me. And sometimes people would come round and see him and ask him advice. What he did not have was a sense of risk. His father, William Crispin Harris, was a great gambler. He actually had a room in the jockey club. My father's aunts were also great gamblers on the horses. He was often given tips as to what stocks and shares to buy, and that was through his connections in the city. He never did it. Had he gone into the various businesses which people invited him to do, he would have really been a very, very wealthy man. And I'm talking a multimillionaire. But he was much more content at taking a measured approach. He was never hard up. He never wanted for any money. My mother, on the other hand, had really grown up in poverty. She would never have quite put it like that herself, but money was always tight and life was always difficult and hard. The contrast between my parents was very clear. My maternal grandparents never owned their own house. My father always owned his own house and in fact had plenty of others to rent out, plenty to spare. He owned and inherited businesses. This also made him different in the village. I wanted to make it very clear and give you a background of that relationship between my parents and the village 
before I went into the various people that inhabited it. There was one other point that I wanted to make about the idea of my mum being the other, and that is that she had an unusual accent. She had a very beautiful voice and it was very lilting. But because of her childhood, she was born in Northumberland and then lived in Cumberland, so she had a mixture northern voice. In moments of high emotion, she did become more Geordie. And I hadn't realised this particular quality of the sound of her voice until I was at boarding school and we had parents' evening where people would come and meet all the staff. And my chemistry teacher at the time asked me the next day, is your mother Austrian? Now, she didn't have that wonderful guttural Northumbrian R by the time I was an older child. We had a real ham for our breakfast. But there must have been something in the quality of her vowel which suggested to the teacher that she was German. When I told her what he had said, of course, with her usual style and calm, she just laughed. She had a twinkle in her eye when she said it, and I do have a slight sense that she may have adopted her native tongue for a moment, just to wrong-foot him. So now we've established how we've fitted into the village, we'll continue with the panoply of characters next time.